Have you ever had a project go so wrong that you try to salvage whatever you can? Sometimes God permits difficulties that you must work on as a means for spiritual growth and then rely on Him for the results. He presents you with an opportunity and then lets you consider His question, Do you trust me? This week, due to some technical difficulties, we were able to record the message, but the sound quality is not up to our usual standard, so we've done what we can to compile the message and clean it up as best we can, and hopefully it will bless you. We praise God that we have this much and pray that you will enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today from Liberty Lake Church. Today we have a special message by Pastor Lee Kissman, the District Superintendent of the Evangelical Free Churches of America organization that our church is a member of. We'll be looking at several passages, so take out your Bible and start by opening it to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and follow along with Pastor Lee as he challenges us to watch and act upon each moment God gives us in the message titled, A Window of Opportunity. been my uh, real joy to meet with your elders and your search committee uh, quite a number of times over the last few months, and it's a very precious, special time that your church is living in right now um, as you search for a senior pastor. And um, it's the holidays, my favorite time of year, and I just want you to know that not only will I be praying along with you through this whole process, but there are a lot of other churches and pastors that are praying along with you guys too, while you have the joy of going through resumes and conducting interviews and thinking really hard about what you want this church to be doing in the years to come. So um, I'm sorry I'm ditching you. I told the guys they can Skype me anytime. Uh, the scripture I wanted to read for you this morning uh, is from Isaiah 61. And um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I think the guys have it on the screen too but uh, I'll turn to it in my own Bible and read. For those of you that maybe known the Lord a long time and going to church a long time, you recognize some of the phraseology of um, this passage. Some... Um, 800 years before Christ, here's what Isaiah wrote. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. 
and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. And strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers to our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion, and instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. The scripture comes to a nation that was uh, in decline, and you know, nations rise and nations fall. And you think about the history of Israel, their pinnacle was surely under the years of David and Solomon when God gave them rest from all their enemies and they could build a temple to worship God, which David wanted to do, and his son, of course, ended up building. And the people rejoiced and worshiped in God and their prosperity was never greater, both economically and spiritually. What a great thing to have your king be a songwriter, to have your king be Bob Dylan, well, maybe I can think of something better than that. But a guy who played stringed instruments and thought about the greatness, the indescribable glories of our God and to write poems and songs and prose to that. We like to have a leader like that. Our leader sends out tweets. It's a little bit of a notch below King David. But that was Israel's high point. Those, those of you that know Bible history, you know that that was the highest of high points, and from there it was a long and steady decline. Through many kings and through many years, you can read it in Kings and Chronicles, the fortunes of Israel falling lower and lower and lower as they descended into idolatry, had a lot of trouble with uh, surrounding nations harassing them, but mostly in their hearts. They went further and further from God. And so the Lord sent them prophets to warn them and to challenge them to come back to a right relationship with him. But it got so bad, you know, that God actually raised up the nation of Assyria, Assyria to bring desolation to the northern kingdom. And then later on, the Babylonian armies invaded Jerusalem itself, destroyed the city, slaughtered people, men, women, and children, looted the temple, and then burned it, and took captives back to their own homeland, to Babylon. That's a low point. And, uh, you know, it's quite a thing to, to live in a, in a country, in a nation that is doing well, but you, could you imagine being in a nation that had been brought so low and to have seen that desolation with your own eyes. Well, the prophet Jeremiah did. That's why we call him the weeping prophet. But the prophets of God foretold of a coming day that would be so much better when God would restore their fortunes, restore the kingdom to Israel, to actually put a descendant of King David back on the throne, and to give them economic prosperity, political freedom, 
prosperity in their crops, prosperity in their children, and most of all, a revival in their souls, where the people would return to God. They would repent of their sins and turn away from their idolatry and come back to the Lord with a whole heart and pay attention to his law again and worship him as he was truly meant to be worshipped. And in that coming day, an anointed one of God, a descendant of King David, would sit on the throne of Israel again and rule his people in righteousness. And the nations would actually stream to Jerusalem to hear the law of God from the lips of Messiah. Of such things the prophets wrote, of such things Isaiah wrote, right here. And the people hung on to those prophecies through centuries and thought, someday Israel will return to his God and things will be right again. Well, fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years to a time in Palestine when two preachers were on the scene, one known as the Baptist, one known as the Carpenter's Son. And they stepped upon the stage of history in time and place in what we would call the first century, the year of our Lord, A.D. And what did they preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I have to tell you people, the masses were electrified to hear the preaching of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And they all wondered, could this be the promised coming one? Could this Jesus really be the Messiah? And could our own day be the day of the coming of the kingdom of God? As Jesus taught and as he performed miracles, many people became more convinced as the days wore on, that he was the promised one. But have you now turned to Luke chapter 4 when Jesus stepped into his own synagogue in his hometown, which was what? Close. Nazareth. You remember he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth, the carpenter's son. And in Luke chapter 4, we read something that, for me, sends chills up my spine as I imagine myself being part of this audience on this day and having this carpenter's son step up into the pulpit and read something like this. Luke chapter 4, beginning of verse 14, in the gospel narrative, this is right on the heels of Jesus coming out of the wilderness after he uh, was tempted by the devil in at least three different kinds of ways. But here we see Jesus going to his own hometown synagogue. And I'll start reading at verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. 
The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And as he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him, he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what would you think if you were there that day? If you had some awareness of what this Jesus had been up to in recent months, teaching and preaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind, and preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. I would be transfixed, wouldn't you? Surely that church service was electrified that day. This is no little sermon from a Lee Kissman or a Ryan Caudill or a Dave Butler or a Shane Freeze. This is a certain carpenter's son that had captured the attention of an entire nation. How interesting it was as the schedule of the reading through the scriptures went in synagogues through the course of the year that the scroll that was handed to him that day was that scroll, that prophet, this passage. If it was the assigned scripture for the day, I'd say that was amazing. How coincidental. Are you kidding me? Let's give the Messiah Isaiah 61 to read. How's that working for you? But if they just happened to hand him one of the scrolls of Isaiah, which was a long book, so actually it was on a few scrolls. But if Jesus received that scroll and he chose to turn to Isaiah 61 and read that, I would say that's even more amazing. The audacity of a carpenter's son to read such a passage and then to look at that audience and say, these words, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. That's what I say. Who would have the audacity to say such a thing? Who is this man? Well, it says in the passage that people were really taking this in. Look at verse 22, just where I left off. You can put yourself in these people's shoes. All were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Well, Jesus, um, he knew how to take advantage of a good church situation. And it turns a little bit sour now. <laughs> After all this amazing uh, drama has been taking place, he says, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. 
Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. In other words, the miracles you've been performing. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came and over the land. And yet, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. A Gentile, in other words. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. A Gentile. Well, you may not get what he was saying, but they totally got what he was saying. God's very own chosen people have a knack for rejecting their own prophets. And he was in a sense saying, I'm going to be no different. They read between the lines, and look at verse 28. It's fabulous. All in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. We've come a long ways from wondering at the gracious words he was speaking up above verse 22. Verse 29, they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. It's not how you want your sermon to turn out. You know, if you ever take the pulpit, Todd, it's not what you want at the end. This is the kickoff of Jesus' public ministry here. In the context of Excellent sermons that he gave and wonderful miracles that he performed. And as everybody's wondering if he's the Messiah, he starts off with a bang in his own hometown and just says, you guys will never be able to receive me. Well, the thing that controls the gospel narrative, whether you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, as you go through all the stories from chapter 1 to chapter 21 or wherever they finish off, is this, Jesus manifesting the glory of God in word and deed. People wondering if indeed he was the Messiah, that promised descendant of David who would usher in the kingdom of God for real. In a constant, ongoing, persistent rejection of him by some. Not by all. But it's that dual nature of either receiving or rejecting Jesus Christ that controls the scripture narrative. Some people are loving him, and other people are plotting to arrest him and kill him. Right on through to the very end. But all the way through, people are wondering if he's the Messiah. That means the kingdom of God could, could begin any day. And you see that curiosity, that anticipation popping up over and over and over in the scriptures. I want to show you two examples of it before we get to our last passage. If you fast forward a little bit in Luke, um, it's a very interesting verse in chapter 17, verse 20, Luke 17, 20.
where we see this um, expectation of the coming kingdom of God verbalized. Not so much by Jesus' friends, but by his detractors. Luke 17, 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Depending on what translation of the Bible you have, you guys, it will say the kingdom of God is in you, or in your midst, or among you. And you'll see those kinds of renderings of the Greek text there. But here you see the expectation of the people. It's like, if you're the Messiah, surely the kingdom's going to start, like maybe tomorrow. So they asked him flat out, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus gives them this super cryptic answer and basically said, you're not going to really see it manifested the way you think. In fact, the kingdom of God's already here. Now, I am sure they just scratched their head, and aren't you kind of scratching your head? Like, what exactly did he mean here? Because the kingdom of God had such particular qualities, which I enumerated for you earlier in the sermon about all those wonderful things that were going to happen with the nation. What does he mean? It's already here. (laughs) And it's not coming with signs to be observed. Well, the best answer I can come up with, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, is this. Wherever the king is, the kingdom is present. What are the boundary lines? What is the geographical and political dotted line that outlines the kingdom of God? You'd be hard-pressed to describe that in any sense, Old Testament or New Testament. But I say this, wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is manifesting itself. And wherever people listen to Jesus and obey his law, there the kingdom is manifest. Now, they, they couldn't have absorbed all that at the time, I'm sure. But it seems to me that's probably the direction he was going. And secondly, in chapter 19, right after that great story about Zacchaeus, the short little man that wanted to see Jesus and climbed a sycamore tree, the same question pops up again in Luke 19, 11. And this is at the, actually at the close of Jesus' public ministry. And people are waiting and wondering, when is all this stuff going to start to roll? And it references in the black letters here, Uh, their expectation about the kingdom of God appearing. Verse 11. While they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Now, why would they suppose that? Well, what's the capital of Israel? Jerusalem. And if a king is going to set up shop, where is he going to do it? Jerusalem. As Jesus meandered through the countryside over three, four years, in his final destination, he's coming to 
the city of cities, the city of David, the city of the great king, Mount Zion, where the temple is, the political and social and religious headquarters of the chosen people of God. And everybody's thinking, all right, man, when we get there, I just know that thunder is going to roll. And James and John, they thought maybe we can sit on his right and left hand when he starts inaugurates this kingdom. And they all thought it was just like any minute now. So he tells them this parable, which you can read on your own time. But I just want you to realize, in multiple places through the gospel record, you see this anticipation and expectation of an imminent unfolding of the glories of God's great kingdom. And a lot of times it comes out in the black letters, not the red letters. How many of you have a red letter Bible? All the words of Jesus, we like that. It helps us find them faster. But I just want to remind you that black letters matter. I have fun saying that. We know and we believe, and by experience we certainly do know, that what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16 is totally true. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every verse matters. Every word matters. Every jot and tittle is the inspired word of God. And these little black letters that you might skim over tell you so much. Verse 11, they were thinking that the kingdom was going to appear immediately. Well, what happened? They got to Jerusalem. Jesus taught in the temple every day. And everybody there in Jerusalem thought, all right, man, it's beginning. He's going to assert his authority. He's going to deal with those rascally Pharisees and those sad sacks, Sadducees, those corrupt temple priests and the corrupt high priest. He's going to deal with Pontius Pilate and ultimately establish himself as king of the world. Maybe tomorrow. And the people were electrified. But on Thursday night, he had supper with the twelve. And he said, drink of this cup, the cup of the, of the new covenant in my blood. And things began to unfold in a very unexpected way before their eyes. That night he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. That night was on trial for blasphemy and sedition. That next day, nailed to a cross. And it was dropped in a hole in the ground at the place of the skull, Golgotha, where along with two other criminals, he hung for six hours until breathing his last, he said, it is finished. Which, by the way, was something people put on a debt when it was paid off. It can mean paid in full. But this is not what anybody was expecting. If he is the great king and Messiah and the one who inaugurates the kingdom of God, it can't end like this, that he dies. What's that all about? I'm sure the disciples thought when he said it is finished, they thought, you're right. Our dreams, they are shattered. It is over. 
they did not realize that God's plans are not man's plans and that God's timeline is not man's timeline. To their surprise, three days later, they saw him alive in the upper room where they had been hiding out in fear. And he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so send I you. And now they're really scratching their heads and thought, man, I thought it was over and you're dead. Now you're not dead. What on earth <laughs> is this storyline all about? And we come to the book of Acts as Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with the disciples. And they just have to ask him one more time. Hey, Jesus, what about the kingdom of God? I mean, now would be a great time. Like, you already whipped those guys, endured the cross, despising the shame. You're raised from the dead. Surely you are the son of God. So, giddy up. <laughs> and uh, you see this in Acts chapter 1. In the first eight verses, still this awareness and expectation of the kingdom of God to be established in the end of that age and the beginning of a new one. And turn there, if you will. I find this humorous and glorious. So we'll just read these first eight verses of Acts, chapter 1. And Luke wrote it. We know that. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the Gospel of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? There it is. What color are those letters? Thank you. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after this, he had said this, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. What? Still not now? He not only says not now, but he says none yet. None of your business. It is not for you to know God's timetable. Now, these guys knew the Old Testament prophets, and they knew they had seen the Messiah. And still, he's saying, not quite yet. But that is God's plan. There is a pause 
in his prophetic time clock, a pause in human history where Messiah indeed has come. But the full manifestation of the kingdom of God is on a little bit of a delay. And what is the reason for that? Grace. Grace. Because when the kingdom comes, there will be hell to pay, literally. It is not only a day for the redeemed to be rescued, but for the unrighteous to receive their due deserts. And it will be a magnificent and terrible day. Depending on what side of the line you stand on. And Jesus came the first time to shed his precious blood that anyone that would look to him and believe that he was who he said he was might be forgiven in his name and that blood would cleanse my sins and wash me to be white as snow. And everyone who ever saw him had that chance. But it was his plan to delay the inauguration of the kingdom that that opportunity might be proclaimed by those who know him to the whole wide world. And then the end will come. The kingdom will come. This is so true, and Jesus knew it was true. He knew it was true the day he started his ministry because when he read that scripture in Nazareth, from Isaiah 61.1, did you see what he did not say? He said, I have come here to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Stop. But he didn't read the second clause that you find in Isaiah 61, which says, and the day of vengeance of our God. He split that verse right there and didn't read the second half. Because his first coming is about the first clause, the favorable year of the Lord. But the second clause, the day of vengeance of our God, dudes, that is on hold. Because this is the day of grace. This is the day of sharing the gospel. This is the day of fulfilling Acts 1.8. You will receive power by my spirit and proclaim my name to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the time we're living in right now, a window of opportunity, a day of grace. And it will, it will come to a close suddenly, like when Noah was building the ark and everybody thought, what are you getting ready for, fool? You'll see. Want to ride in my boat? And God shut the door of that boat on an appointed day. Then eight were saved. But the masses perished. And so it will be at the second coming of Christ. You guys are living between the first and second coming. This wonderful hour of an opportunity of grace. It's a window of opportunity and it closes quickly, I'm telling you. So what are we going to do with it? Even right now at Christmas time. This is time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But cosmically, this is a time between the first coming and second coming of Christ. That's what time it really is. Remember that song by Chicago, that great jazz rock group? Best trombone player and saxophone player ever in the universe, those guys. They had a lot of hits through the 70s and the 80s. I remember all of them. I played some of them in my rock band. But one of their best, 
first song was Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is? Remember that song? I'd sing a little bit for you, but you would leave me off of that cliff and throw me off on Jesus. <laughs> Please don't sing. But I think that's what the Lord would be wondering about us, his people for sure. Do you guys really know what time it is? Do you understand this window of opportunity that you have to preach the gospel before I come again in power and great glory to judge the earth? And by the way, you have a personal window of opportunity. It's not so cosmic as that. But every day that you have breath, you have an opportunity by the power of the Spirit to share the gospel with a friend or stranger, even an enemy, if you will. And that window of opportunity closes for you. It's a window of opportunity for you not only to share the gospel, but to receive the gospel. And if you've never given your heart to the Lord, you guys, you have today, and maybe a couple tomorrows, to say, yes, Lord, I believe in you, and I give you my heart. I want to follow you and, and find your blessings and share you with others. But one day, that window will be shut. And you will breathe your last and you'll, have another, you'll never have another second to say, yes, Jesus. Windows of opportunity are God's grace. And that's why the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. So, I try to live in that, you guys. you got to live in today for Jesus. It's our church right here, right here, right now, and there's no other church at Liberty Lake but us right here. This is the congregation of Liberty Lake Church, you guys, and the absentees who are watching football or whatever else they are. Bad children should not be doing that. Go to church on Sunday. But I mean, you, you guys, this is your hour. This is, this is your day for greatness in God, is to live it out with all your soul before you have a heart attack and we take you to Sacred Heart and you go hiccup and you're done. Have you ever had that, that realization? Like Bethany was sharing, our lives are so precious and to give them to God and find relief from all that ails us and let him have the best of us. This is a gift. So if we're going to be a Christian, let's really be one. And not just coast and go through the motions. If we're going to be a church, let's really be one. You have today to be the church of God and be glorious. A window of opportunity. But those windows are all going to close. Your health is going to go. Your voice will go. Your life will end window closed and as the nations rage and this world groans on through the years one day God's going to close that greatest window of all and they will see the sign of the son of man appear in the sky and the Lord himself will descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise and those who are remain will be caught up with them together to be with the Lord to meet him in the air and thus we will always be with the Lord. Thessalonians 4, right? And that was. And everybody else who waited will say, Well, I was gonna I was gonna start following God. I just I was getting around to it. Fail! Epic fail. 
that we should have sung the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. Stand with me. Good time to close, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though no one joined me, still I will follow. Though no one joined me, still I will follow. Though no one joined me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. What's the other verse? The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Does anybody really know what time it is? It's five minutes to midnight. On God's clock, I'm telling you. And I have this old clock, it's kind of broken, it gets weak. And sometimes it gets stuck. And that second hand just keeps kind of ticking, but nothing ever really moves. And God's grace is like that. And you're so close, and you're so close, and yet he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and why does he wait? For love. Give you just one more chance to get your act together. But my challenge is, do it. Do it today. Be God's name today. Be God's family today. Let's pray. Father, your word is just magnificent. We thank you that we have it as a gift to draw closer to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for Today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.